Well, it occurred to me this week that um, I have spent and our staff has spent more time studying, more time meeting, more time debating, that sometimes sounded like arguing, more time consensus building, more time praying about this series of messages than any other series we've ever done, probably times five. That's pretty big, isn't it? I mean, that's a big statement. And it's been an incredible journey for us the last seven or eight months. You know, it's been affirming in a lot of ways. It's been encouraging in a lot of ways. It's been fun in a lot of ways. And it's been a little unmasking in a lot of ways. I mean, there have been many times, and I confess this even to our session, I said, look, guys, there have been a couple of times as we've traveled down this journey, and I mean, I'm seminary trained and all that. I'm supposed to know all this stuff already. It's been a deeper study. There have been times as we've traveled down this road together in the last seven or eight months that I have thought about some of the things I've said, some of the things I've done, some of the things I've encouraged or allowed within the context of this thing that we call gathering, and I've just thought, good grief, I am glad the Lord is gracious. Because my picture of this whole deal was not clear enough, not big enough, And it was not profound enough. And that's changing. You know, one of the prayers that we've had, and we've had a lot of prayers throughout this process, but one of the prayers that we have is that today, right now, marks the beginning, not just of a four-week series of messages that, you know, we'll be able to finish in four weeks, and then having finished it, we'll say, okay, well, that's all there is to say about that. Now let's move on to the next thing. But rather, that this will be the beginning, an introduction, if you will, to a conversation that never ends. Because worship never ends. Gathering, as we define it, never ends. And if you don't know how we define it, because maybe you walked in here this morning and you're like, okay, this is kind of interesting language, gathering, and you probably have figured it out at this point. But when we talk about gathering, what we're talking about is what we do on Sunday mornings. We're talking about corporate worship, what we're doing right now. And I'm letting you know kind of on the front end that it's a really big deal. And it should be absolutely transformational. It should transform me. It should transform you. It should transform us. And then as it spills out of our doors week by week, it should transform our families, our offices, our schools, our playgrounds, our neighborhoods, and even our city. That's a really big expectation, but we serve a really big God. And then here's the deal. And this really, I think, is the missing piece in the equation. This is a thing that I didn't yet fully understand, and I'm still learning, and I'm hoping to convey to you. This thing that we call gathering, this is a really big deal. It's just huge. It's huge. So I hope you learn that in this conversation. And I hope that it begins to have the transformational effect that, that it ought, because I think the two are tied together. In other words, I think for worship really to transform our lives and our families and our offices and all of that, okay? For that to happen, I think first we need to gain an understanding and an appreciation of what it is that we're doing when we come together and we gather. How big of a deal this really is. And I want to introduce the whole conversation with one big idea upon which the rest of the conversation is built. If you if you miss this part of the conversation, man, it's like you've missed so much of it. And and it's just a simple statement. It's actually up on the screens. It's really easy to say. It's easy to remember. And it's simply that gathering is about God. And it's not mostly about God. It's not partially about God. It's not 99.9% about God. 
It's 100% about God. Now, it transforms me, and it transforms you, or at least it's intended to, and it will as we come to understand and appreciate it and value it and treat it as it ought to be treated. But it's not about me. And it's not about you either. It's 100% about the Lord. And what I want us to be able to do today is not just to be able to walk away understanding that and going, okay, yeah, gathering is about God. That's part one of the conversation. If you miss that, you miss the whole rest. And I understand this intellectually. I want us to understand it intellectually. We see it in the Bible. And then to kind of pause for a minute and go, whoo, man, I need to feel the weight of that for a second. And I need to ask the so what question. I mean, all right, gathering is about God, so what? So, Tom, what does that mean for me? Well, I have a list, but it's my list. You need to create yours. Gathering is about God. I want you to see that from the first of the Ten Commandments. And here's the deal. All these Ten Commandments, man, they apply to every area of our lives. It's not like they just apply to gathering. They don't just apply to this one hour a week that we come together and gather in the presence of God and worship God, which is, parenthetically, and you'll hear this a lot, all about God, but it applies to every hour of our week, which is to be transformed by this hour that we spend on Sunday as well. This command applies to everything, but it also applies to this. And I think for you to be able to kind of see it, hear it, and appreciate it, you, you got to kind of dust your imagination off for a second and travel back in time with me to the days of Moses and envision that great man standing out in the Midianite desert, probably at night. He's standing in the Midianite desert surrounded by sheep because he's been a shepherd for 40 years at this point. He's 80 years old. He's standing in the desert at the foot of Mount Sinai, this really significant mountain in part because of what happens right here. And he's got his sandals off and he's talking to a burning thorn bush from which is emanating the voice of Almighty God who is saying to Moses, hey, bud, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back to Egypt from which you were exiled, from which you ran for your life 40 years ago, and I want you to deliver my people from Egypt. The people of Israel who have been enslaved in Egypt for 430 years. And you got to feel that too, I think. I mean, just kind of hang on to that for a second. 430 years, like 11 generations of people. That's 11 generations of brick building. That's 11 generations of the whips of their masters. That's 11 generations of being treated like and being told that they were in some sense subhuman. They were chattel. They were like a dog and treated like a dog. You feel that? Now think about this. Add to the equation that it had been 430 years since they had heard a word from their God as well. Until, that is, God meets with Moses out in the desert. And so God sends this deliverer named Moses. He sends him to Egypt. Moses delivers the people. You know the story. How does he do it? He does it through miracles. What kind of miracles? What are their nature? What is the character of the miracles, the flavor of them? They're miracles of judgment, aren't they? I mean, they're miracles of death. He shows up. He meets with Pharaoh. He says, let my people go. You've seen the movie. Pharaoh says, no, not going to do it. Moses says, is that a cup of water you're drinking? Might want to check it because now it's blood. Do that one. 
turns all the water to blood. Doesn't work. So he afflicts them with frogs. That would have broke my back. I hate frogs, man. Ooh. Doesn't work. Insects. Doesn't work. Pestilence. Doesn't work. Boils. Doesn't work. Darkness doesn't work. Plague after plague, 10 plagues. He gets to the 10th plague. What does he afflict them with? He afflicts them with death itself. The firstborn child of every Egyptian home, and not just their firstborn child, even the firstborn of their animals dies one night. And Pharaoh has an early morning meeting with Moses after that. And at that point, it's not, you know what, I think it would be okay for you to leave. It's get your stuff and get out. And I'm not talking about in an hour. I'm talking about now. Leave right now. And they do. And Moses leads them out into the desert. And he leads them through the Red Sea. And you know the story. And then he takes them where? You're like, I know the answer to that. They wander around 40 years. And then they go to the promised land, a place of abundance in life. Well, yeah, but he takes them first back to the place where he had met with God at the burning bush. He takes them back to Mount Sinai. And it's there that the Lord delivers the law, including this law that applies to every area of our lives, but it applies also to what we do here on Sunday mornings. And God prefaces his law with this statement. It says, then the Lord God spoke all these words, and Moses knows because he was there, and then he records it for us. Moses is writing, the Lord God spoke all these words saying, here we go, I am, hang on to that little phrase, the Lord your God. I love that little phrase. I've talked about this with you before, but here's why I love it and can't resist it. Because if you rewind the tape and you go back through the 10 plagues and you go all the way back through the deliverance and you go all the way back to Mount Sinai last time Moses had been there, when God was meeting with him at the burning bush, you remember no sandals, night, sheep. (laughs) Moses said to God, hey, um, God, I hear what you're saying, but little problem here, 430 years of brick building. 430 years of whips, 430 years of subhuman treatment, 430 years under the thumb of Pharaoh after Pharaoh after Pharaoh after Pharaoh. These people have no hope. They do not believe that anything or anyone can deliver them from this. And why should they? Because you haven't said anything in 430 years either. So now I'm going to go and I'm going to tell them about the bush and the deal and my sandals and the sheep and it's night and it's Mount Sinai and I'm going to deliver them, right? They're going to ask me, who is this God who claims to be able to deliver us from this? Who can do that? God said, you're exactly right. That's, that's exactly what they're going to ask you. And that's when I want you to drop my name on them. And here's my name. You ready? Here it is. The whole name. I am. When they ask who it is that is able to deliver them from this, you tell them, I am able. And I know that we're talking about gathering this morning, and we're talking about gathering being about God. Might have got the memo on that already. But I can't resist stopping here in the story either and saying, look, you know, you might kind of feel like you're living in the land of slavery and death today. I mean, you're not in Egypt, but... You're not dealing with Pharaoh, but maybe that's the whole reason you came. You're wondering who is able to deal with this, who is able to deliver, who is able to bring peace, who is able to restore, who is able to heal, who is 
And the whole reason God has you here is just to drop his name on you. It's, it's a great name. He says to Moses, it is my memorial name to all generations. That includes us. And it's I am. But I want to pause for the rest of us too, and I, and I want to, and I need a little grace from you today, okay? I want to say that that's an object lesson for the rest of us because you would not have gotten that message on the golf course. Would you? You would not have gotten that message at a baseball game with kids or on the couch or on the boat or in the yard. There is a value to this thing called gathering. That's transformational. But I digress. God brings his people out of Israel, or out of Egypt, rather. And then he takes them to Mount Sinai, right? And then Moses says, then God spoke all these words, saying, I am. And see, I love that. I know that he winked at Moses there. I love that because Moses gets it. The entirety of the deliverance of the people of God, that is the single greatest deliverance story in the Old Testament, is bookended by what? It is bookended by the name of God, which is I am. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God. That is who I am, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, who brought you up and delivered you from slavery and death. That's what I've done. And then he gives us his law, which applies to every area of our lives, but... We're talking about gathering. It applies to every hour of the week, but we're talking about this hour in particular. He says in verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me, which in this context means gathering is about God. We can talk a lot about why that is and all that, but that's the bottom line. And what I found is that pretty much nobody argues with that. You know, I mean, if I had handed out the multiple choice and it was like gathering is about A, God, B, you... You'd get the right answer, wouldn't you? You just, you would. Everybody would get that right, unless you were just trying to, you know, get under the skin of the pastor, you know. Let's provoke him and put us. But you'd know what the right answer is. We all know what the right answer is. Gathering is about God. I don't know why you had to spend so much time on that, Tom. Here's the thing. What we have not yet done is pause to feel the weight of that. And what we have not yet done is stopped and said, okay, so what? What does that mean, practically speaking, for me as a follower of Jesus? And so I wrote a couple things down. Guys, if gathering is about God, then practically speaking, gathering is holy. Because God is holy. In fact, God's not just holy. If you read the Bible, he's holy, 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 isn't he? You go to the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. You go to the book of Revelation, what do you hear? Holy, holy, holy. I suspect that if you could peer into the heavens right now, you'd hear it. Holy, holy, holy. And I will tell you flatly that the angels do not weary of singing it. Ever. Gathering is holy unto the Lord. 
for it is about the Lord. And see, everything then begins to flow out of that. Do you know what that means? That means when he comes to us three commandments later and he says, hey, guys, you know what, this day, this day is my day. It actually, it means that, well, it, that it's his day. And that the worship and the service of the Lord and, and the rest, even as he commands us to rest on this day, is not an optional thing. Why? Because it's not about me and my schedule and how many other things I can cram into it and what else I have going on in my life and all the stuff that happened prior to this and even how I'm feeling. I I don't really know if I feel up to it. It's been kind of a busy thing. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. Is it about you? Because it isn't, is it? Because I I thought it was about God and I was cool with that. I got the A plus on the test until I started fleshing it out. But flesh it out. And remember also that the messages you get from God, you don't get in the yard. Those are the messages that change your life. If gathering is about God, you ought to be on time. And I'm really paranoid about that one. Do you know why? Because that's about 70% of us. No kidding. Like one of the great paranoias, one of my prayers all week was, I made this list, by the way, out of my own heart and experience. And as I said to you, the importance is not my list, it's your list. This is the only one that, you know, I think we're both tracking on. That maybe at some point in time we've both struggled with. I said to my wife, I said, please pray with me that nobody thinks that I created a list of all the pathologies that I see. And it's sort of like, okay, this is Tom's big opportunity to dump on us about worship because that's not the case. One of my best friends and a person who's well familiar with this church, maybe I've shared this with you, said this to me once. He said, Tom, he said, the Lord must really love you. He said, look at the people that he has given you. And he's right. Far as I'm concerned, this is the greatest church in the world, but it doesn't mean we're perfect. And we're surely not on time. All right? But let me think this through with you for a second. As soon as I wrote that down on my little notepad, my heart immediately went, I'm just going to go straight to it. My heart immediately went to the moms, particularly of little kids. And, And let me tell you why, because I have three kids and I know what a colossal, monumental pain in the you know where it is to get them up out of bed, to get them dressed. And I'm not talking about, you know, uniforms for school where like the biggest decision you've got to make is, is the shirt going to be red or blue to go with our tan shorts? I'm talking about church clothes. Get them dressed. Get them to the table. You know they're going to get syrup on their shirt, so now you've got to change it. Get them dressed again. Get them bathed and all that kind of stuff. Oh, and parenthetically, while you're getting yourself ready, not just to go drive them to drop off at school. You can put your hair up for that. That's not a big deal. But, you know, I mean, it's church. It's a different level of preparation, is it not? Then you get them all in the car and not just them, but all of the paraphernalia that uniquely belongs to every one of those child whose world will come crashing to an end if it is not with them in the car. Then you come all the way here. And maybe you get a parking space. Hopefully you do. But depending upon the age of your kids, if you have more than one, you might have to sign one in on one side of the campus and then you have to sign the other in on the other side of the campus. Sorry, if we could tear it all down and recreate it, we'd change it. We can't. We're thankful for what we've got. But it's, you know, it's time consuming. And so I thought of all that and I thought, good grief, they should get a gold medal just for showing up at all. But then I had a few other thoughts too. 
Gathering is holy. Gathering is about God. Gathering is sacred. It is unlike any other hour of your week, and it is made to transform every other hour of your week. And you know what the truth is? The truth is we get our kids to baseball games on time because, you know, I mean, the coach is going to be upset and the other kids are waiting and we're part of a team and we're teaching our children. We're teaching our children that ethic. Get the point? We get them to the doctor on time. We get them to birthday parties on time because we know what a big deal it is to have birthday parties and we appreciate when anybody else shows up on time. And Gathering's a little bigger on the scale, guys. And I don't want you to think that, you know, if you walk in late, Tom's going to give you the eye. I'm not... I wouldn't do that. And I don't want you to think that if you walk in late, everybody else is going to look at you like you didn't get the memo, because sometimes you're going to walk in late. That's not the kind of church we are. Just it isn't. But I want you to feel the weight of it, okay? I want you to interact with it. You know, if gathering is about God, God is the critic and not me. Now think about that for a minute, because I have spent most of my life going to church, mostly by coercion, I'll be honest. But really, and I mean, and I cannot, it seems, go without evaluating everything in light of me and my preferences. Well, I liked it, I didn't like it. I thought it was great, I didn't think it was so good at all. I'm glad I went, I wish I stayed home. It's exactly what I need, it's not what I needed at all. In fact, I can't believe you didn't say what I needed. It's too dark, it's too light. It's too short. It's never too short, is it? You never complain about that. (laughs) Ever. No one has ever said, really, you're done? It's too long. It's too long. It's too hot, but never at Rio. (laughs) I see you with your sweaters on. It's 95 degrees outside. It's too cold unless you're up here, in which case it's perfect. So keep that in mind. (laughs) Maybe it is about me. It's not. It's not about me. And I think that when we say those things, at least in some sense, we betray a fundamental misunderstanding about who it really is about. It's about the Lord, 100%. And that isn't to say that we don't evaluate our services, man. We critique them from stem to stern every single week. It isn't to say that feedback isn't valuable to us. Oftentimes it is. It isn't to say that we don't really care whether you enjoyed it or not or whether you were moved or not or whether I said what it is that you needed in this particular month. That's not true at all. We care about all of those things, but here's why we care. We care specifically because this is about God and we want to bring to Him our very best. And we know that these experiences are to be transformational. And we want to see God's people transformed ever more and more so into the likeness of Jesus that He might get greater and greater and greater glory from every single one of us. So we care because it's about God. And I would ask you today, when was the last time, if ever, you've left a worship service and you said, okay, Lord, what did you think of my worship? this day because he's the target 
God is the target. In fact, I was so tempted to hang a target on the wall. And then I realized the only place I could do it is there, and I'd be covering the cross, and it just didn't seem like, you know, that might be an honoring thing to do for the Lord. But I thought that it would be a nice reminder for me that I speak today, that I lead today, that I interact with people today, that I preach today, that I sing today, that whatever it is that I do here, I do today as worship unto God, that He is the target. I do it for an audience, yes, but for an audience of one, which as an aside requires me at times to say things that are kind of awkward. Sometimes difficult. Where I go, oh, Lord, do I really have to? Yeah, okay. God, what did you think of my worship today? I was tempted to put the target up for the worship team to remind them that this isn't a show. It's not a performance, at least not for this audience. It is a performance, yes, but for an audience of one. Lord, what did you think? How'd it go? I think it'd be a nice reminder to all of you guys as well that, you know, you're not here to watch a show. This isn't like going to a movie. It's not like attending the theater where we kick back and go, well, I thought that joke was funny and that actor was, eh, you know, he was just kind of so-so and I'm not so sure that it was worth the money or, yeah, I'd go again. Or You're not here today as a spectator or if you are, you ought not to be. That's not your role. That's part of recalibrating our understanding of what it means to gather You and I are not spectators here to figure out how it is that God can fit into our plan and make our lives better. What can you do for me, Lord? And by the way, if you'd sit down for a minute, I got a few things I'd like to talk to you about. Talk to the Lord, but understand, this is about Him. He's the spectator. You're the performer. And the question is, how can you fit into His program? What is it that you have to offer in worship to Him? And the goal is for all of us to sit under the teaching of His Word. The goal of worship is not to make God more like us, it's to make us more like Him. And I was tempted to put up the target also as a reminder that, you know what, hitting a target is a difficult thing. My dad is like big into target shooting. How many of you have ever shot a pistol at a target? It's okay. Good. Quite a few of you. My dad has almost enough guns for all of us to shoot at the same time. I'm only half kidding. I mean, he's got like a safe, a couple of safes full of guns, and it's just, it's like... I told him, I said, the FBI is literally going to come to your house and ask what is going on because it's a little weird, you know? He goes two, three times a week. Now, I go like twice a year maybe and with him. And, uh, you know, it's sort of changed the way that I view sort of the cops and robber movies because you see these guys, you know, and it's like whatever, it's the good guy, and he shoots from like 200 yards, and bam, nails the guy right between the, the eyes. And, and I mean, have you ever shot a gun? If you can hit the dadgum wood thing, the target's on from 15 yards, you know, I'm impressed. But here's the other part, because I'll be watching a movie with my wife, and here comes the guy, and he's running, you know, and bullets are going, you know, and my wife's like, oh, I can't believe they don't hit him. I'm like, that's because you've never been shooting can't hit a darn thing. It's unbelievable. But what does it take? Focus, concentration, blocking out of anything and everything that would distract. 
You know, when you go back into the Old Testament and you look at the Sabbath under the Old Covenant, which has a lot to say to us about what we do on Sundays, you realize that it started at sundown on Friday and it ended at sundown on Saturday. Just translate that forward for a minute. It starts on sundown at Saturday then, does it not? If you take that principle. And it ends at sundown on Sunday? What does that mean? That tells you that the night before you get here is holy as well. It's dedicated unto God as well. I tell you from experience, I've watched a lot of movies that didn't serve me well on a Sunday morning. And I've changed all of that. I am a boring Saturday night guy. Maybe I'll go out to dinner. Maybe. I did take in a little college football last night, I'll be honest. But the Lord loves college football. It's the greatest sport in the world. All right, so here's your rebuttal, right? You want to say, okay, Tom, but, but you're the pastor. I mean, dude, you've got to have your game face on Sunday morning. You've got to bring your best. So do you. He doesn't judge my worship any differently than you. Lord, what did you think of my worship today? Did I come ready? You know, honestly, if you're one of those moms who, like, is pulling your hair out in 14 directions and hate everyone by the time you get here, and I've been there, you know, it's like we're arguing. We finally just get these kids where they've got it. You might need to come 15 minutes earlier just to sit here for a moment. Seriously. And decompress. And pray. And prepare your heart for the most holy hour of your week. All right, last one on my list. Not a list I created for you, really. Gathering is about God. I think that means you ought to sing. All the men rejoice with that one. There are like three guys here who sing well. And you're all happy about it. You're like, la, la, la. (laughs) And we're all struggling to like you. All right, the rest of us, let's be honest, the rest of us, it's awkward, it's it's uncomfortable, it's not something that we think we're terribly good at, it certainly isn't something we do in any other arena or moment of life, is it? I mean, maybe if you have tinted windows and you're by yourself and you've got like the Eagles, you know, greatest hits on, it's happening for you in that car. But that's it. You don't call staff meetings and say, okay, listen, we're going to take the next 25 minutes and I'm going to project these words up on the screen and we're going to sing and you're going to lead us. You know, you don't do that. We don't even do that here. But it's not about me, is it? Boy, I hope not. It's not about you either. Don't be offended by that. But really, and for that I rejoice. It's about the Lord. So if I'm uncomfortable, you know, my grandmother, and I need to be clear on which grandmother, because my dad's mom, who is in heaven, if in fact she can see me right now, is saying, you better be clear on which grandmother you're talking about right now. My mother's mom, my only remaining grandparent, she's like 93,000 years old, okay? (laughs) 
and she's like still got it. I mean, she's amazing. But she is the worst singer I have ever heard in my entire life. I'm not kidding. She would come to visit us when I was a kid. And, you know, I mean, we'd go to church and we'd all sit in the same row every single week. My parents still sit there. It's the back row, Old Cutler Presbyterian Church in Miami, okay? My grandmother would come and it was how far down the row away from her I can sit because people three or four rows up were trying to find a discreet way to look over their shoulder to find out what kind of a wild animal was going crazy in the back of the church. I, I'm not kidding. And now here's, but here's the deal. The reason they're three and four rows up and they can hear her is not just because she's so bad. It's because she is so loud. She belts it out. It was horrifying. (laughs) But it's not about her, is it? It's not about me. Seems to me I owe her an apology. Grandma gets it. And, you know, I thought about her and I thought, you know, as the Lord himself, by his spirit, unites his perfect voice with her voice and presents her worship to the Father, is it not beautiful? Is it not amazing? What about you? Think you ought to sing. And maybe you're thinking, all right, so here's the deal. Uh, if I was one of those Israelites and, you know, I mean, 11 generations, 430 years of brick building and whips and oppression and all that kind of stuff in Egypt, and then Moses had rolled in and laid out the big 10 plagues on everybody and demonstrated the mastery of God, I mean, in just amazing ways and led us all out of Egypt and through the Red Sea. I didn't even touch on that, but that's like a way cool story if you're familiar with it. And then brought us back out to Mount Sinai, which quaked and thundered and lightning. And I mean, it's volcanic. If you read the story, it looks, sounds like a volcano exploding. And I stood at the foot of, the, of that mountain, you know, and Moses got up and said, all right, we're going to do how great is our God. I think I'd sing. <laughs> but that's not me. And it isn't me either. But you need to think through it a little bit. So here's the deal. I wasn't in Egypt, but I was at one time in the land of the dead. Spiritually. And I'd ask you, what's more perilous? Which one is it? Until God sovereignly and by His Spirit awakened that which was dead in me, preached His gospel to me, and gave me even the very faith by which I grasped it and found life. That's deliverance, folks. I was not oppressed by the Egyptians, but I was oppressed by guilt and shame. I know what that's like and what it is to be delivered from that. I wasn't a slave to Pharaoh, but I was a slave to sin. I didn't know the helplessness and the hopelessness of Egypt, but I know the helplessness and the hopelessness of life apart from Christ, okay? And Moses did not deliver me, but Jesus did, and I'd love for you to compare the two. Which one inspires greater song? You know, at Mount Sinai, God came down and He appeared to Moses in a burning thorn bush. In Christ, God came down and He wore a crown of thorns for you. Feel like singing? 
God, through Moses, led his people out of bondage by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Moses himself tells us. Well, in Jesus Christ, God stretched out his arms and had both nailed to a cross to deliver you. Moses gave us a law that curses us. You know why? Because not one person here can keep even one of the laws. It brings condemnation. Jesus Christ, Paul tells us, became a curse in our place. He bore himself on the tree, the curse of God that we deserve for all of our failures to keep the law, and then he freed us from the necessity in some sense of keeping the law, at least to please God and gain salvation by keeping it all himself. Moses came bringing signs of plagues, right? Death, Jesus came healing, resurrecting. Giving life, Moses turned water into blood. Jesus turned water into wine, a sign of fullness and fellowship and joy. Moses brought death to the firstborn son of Pharaoh to deliver the people of God from Pharaoh. And in Jesus, God himself endured death to deliver us from the judgment that we deserve. Moses took everybody to Mount Sinai, which I told you was consumed in smoke and fire and lightning, and it quaked like an earthquake. The people were told, don't even go near this thing or you're going to die. You know, if even an animal goes close to it, we're just going to throw rocks at it until we kill it. It's going to sound like my grandmother when she sings at church. God's voice thundered from that mountain to the point where the people who were there said to Moses, look, uh, here's the thing. From now on, could you have God just speak to you and then you can speak to us because we don't want to hear that voice again lest we die. And the writer to the Hebrews tells us, however, about the mountain that we draw near to through faith in Christ. Hebrews 12 verse 18, he says, For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and to a blazing fire, and to darkness and gloom and whirlwind, and to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words, which sound was such that those who heard them begged that no further word be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command, if even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that even Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, and to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks of the blood that is sacrificed to cover over sin. The sprinkled blood, meaning the blood of Christ, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. Abel was killed by his brother, do you remember? And God says, the blood of your brother cries out to me from the ground. It cried out for justice, but Christ's blood speaks better for it cries out for forgiveness. It cries out for redemption. It cries out for life. You see, and when we stand at that mountain, which is what we do every week, and I would ask you to compare that experience to all the other things that compete with it in your schedule, all the other options. When we stand at that mountain, as we do every Sunday, when we gather, 
and really see it clearly, we know, first of all, that, okay, it's about God. (laughs) No doubt. And we realize also, I hope, that, man, if those guys had people to sing, or reason to sing, we have far more. So gathering is about God, and I want you to know that. But I want you to pause and feel the weight of it, and I want you to interact with it. That's just my list. The question that I have for you is, what's yours? What difference should this make in how you approach worship and how you value it, with the attitude that you bring to it, the preparation you give to it, and so forth? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time and for the gift um, that we call gathering, worship of you. Father, I thank you for this people. Uh, Lord, for the glory that I see that is yours in them. I thank you for these hours that we have each week to sit under your word, to consider how we might fit into your plan, to talk about and to be transformed into your image that we might glorify you. And I pray, God, in these weeks to come and in the weeks thereafter as we continue this conversation about gathering, that you would change our minds and our hearts, that you would recalibrate our priorities, that you would reveal to us in no uncertain terms what it's all about, how profound it really is, how significant it is to you the one who has purchased us with the life of your Son, and how transformational it can be for your glory in our hearts, in our lives, in our homes, in our offices, and so forth. We pray, Lord, that you would bring yourself glory in this study, that you would be our teacher, that you would make clear to each one of us individually whatever it is that needs to be said words of encouragement, words of comfort, words of rebuke, if that's what it needs to be, but words designed for our good and for your glory that we might grow in our relationship with Jesus. We pray all these things in his precious name. Amen.